All right. This is definitely a different dynamic, uh, getting used to preaching to mostly empty sanctuary and virtually, but it's better than the dynamic that I have been doing, which is preaching just to a camera. So I'm thankful to have at least a few more people in the sanctuary listening. As Mary was mentioning earlier, I am looking forward to when we can uh, worship together in person, but we're also very much wanting to make sure that we're doing things the right way and keeping everybody safe. Um, so, and we'll continue to keep people uh, up to date on how, that, uh, how we're kind of planning to do that. Earlier this week, I was on a Zoom call, as I'm sure some of you have been on Zoom calls this week, and I noticed that I was doing something while I was on the Zoom call. It actually happened on multiple Zoom calls. I had a lot this past week. I noticed I was doing this on multiple Zoom calls that I was on, and I'm kind of wondering if anybody else is doing this. Um, and it's something that was bothering me a little bit, but I, it was, I was struggling to stop myself from doing it. I noticed that I was spending a lot of time looking at myself. So we're having a Zoom call and everybody's got their screen up and I'm in gallery mode so I can constantly see what other people are seeing of me. And I noticed that I was spending kind of a lot of time looking at my own reflection. Have you done this? When you're on a video conference call, on a Zoom call, have you noticed that you spend a bit of time looking at the way you look, at what other people are see, seeing. In this global pandemic, we're stuck at home, so a lot of our meetings are happening virtually. And that means that we're, we're able to, to watch ourselves in ways that we normally can't do. Like if I'm sitting down for, for coffee with somebody in a coffee shop, the only way I could have a similar experience is if I was literally holding a mirror next to their face. So I'm talking to them and looking at myself and talking to them and looking at myself. And uh, that's just, that's, we typically don't have that sort of opportunity. And so this stay-at-home order, it's, it's caused us to um, have new insight and awareness of, of what we look like the entire time we're in a conversation with another person. I can check how my hair is looking. My wife, I finally gave up waiting for the stay-at-home order to lift so I could go to get a haircut. And my wife gave me a haircut this week. Good job, Mary. Uh, I can kind of go like this in the camera and then go like this, see like which side is my profile look better in. I hope other people are doing this, otherwise I'm feeling really embarrassed. I can like adjust my sitting position, like figure out where the light is hitting me just perfectly to give me the best jawline. Am I the only one? I'm hoping that you guys are also looking at the way you look in Zoom video chats. Even if you aren't obsessively looking at your own reflection on Zoom, I, I imagine that you're at least occasionally looking at your own reflection. And while this is exacerbated uh, in the experience of being on video conference on Zoom, uh, this is something that we already do in our normal, everyday, pre-pandemic lives. This is kind of just a part of what it means to be human. We care about what we look like. We care about how other people experience us. We want to look good before other people, care about both our physical image, but also sort of our broader image of how people are experiencing us, what they think of us. We want people to think that we're thoughtful or kind or strong and independent or smart or successful or, or maybe spiritual or wise or wealthy. There's so many different aspects of ourself that makes up this external image of how people experience us that we care about and we tend to. 
And in this self-quarantined world, many of us are aware of our image in new ways. In Zoom, for example, we're very aware of that external image, but there are other ways that we maybe are aware of our image in the opposite direction. For example, if you don't have any Zoom meetings for the day or for a couple of days, and you have all the grocery you need, you may be able to go for a day or two days or three days without taking your pajamas off, without taking a shower, without combing your hair. And so there is, in this self-quarantined age, in the opposite direction, a sort of freedom from that oppressive tending to the way that I look in front of other people, if you're not seeing anybody. So, whether you're on video calls all day and you're making sure your face looks perfect for the camera and the light, or whether you're not seeing anybody and, and you can just live in your pajamas and skip showers for a day or skip brushing your hair, there is this increased awareness of the way that we relate to our external image in the midst of this stay-at-home order, maybe in ways that illuminate how attached we are to the way other people are experiencing us. And in our passage for today, the one that Mary read for us, Jesus is telling us how to have a picture-perfect external image. He says that if you want all the external signs of perfection, of health, of productivity, of beauty, then stay connected to me. The metaphor or image that he gives for this external perfection is the image of fruitfulness. A tree that is bearing fruit has all the external signs of being healthy, productive, and beautiful. A tree that bears fruit has this really nice external image that reflects its internal health. And these are all the things that you and I want to appear to have when we're tending our external image. Then Jesus, by contrast, gives the picture for what it looks like when we don't look healthy or beautiful or productive or attractive And it's marked by this dead, withering branch that bears no fruit. In this passage, Jesus is telling us in the simplest of terms how we can not only have this life that looks good on the outside, that bears fruit, but a life that actually is good. And at its core is healthy. So not just pretending to have a good external experience, but actually being healthy on the inside so we're naturally producing this fruit. And he says, the metaphor he says is, your life is like a plant. You will be healthy and fruit-bearing if you tend to the source of the nutrients that give life to the vine, bear fruit. And in no uncertain terms, Jesus says, I am the source. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay connected to me, you will be healthy, and you will have a beautiful external image, one that is marked by all kinds of fruit. Not because you're tending to it, but because it will just be naturally being produced because you're connected to the source of life. Now, I know... 
the people who are in our congregation, I know that none of us own vineyards. Some of you are into gardening, but not all of you. But even if you're not into gardening, you kind of intuitively get what this metaphor means. It's, it's really very simple. One of the hallmarks of the Gospel of John is how simple and yet profound and deep his writings are. And in, John, in verse 4, we see sort of the, the essence or the thing that is summed up about this verse. Listen as I read verse 4. He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Very basic idea. You and I will bear fruit and have this beautiful, productive, healthy external image if we remain connected to Jesus. Apart from Jesus, something in us, we get cut off from the source of nutrients. And so we might be able to fake a healthy, productive, beautiful external image for a while, but in the end, we're rotting and withering and unable to produce fruit. And Jesus is saying that... that in order to have this healthy, productive, fruit-bearing life, we must stay connected to Jesus. We must remain in Him. And I wonder, what does that mean? What does it mean to remain in Jesus? The connotation of the word has, has stay or abide or dwelling. So when it's used sort of in a non-spiritual sense, it's like Jesus went over here to stay at this person's house. Or he remained in this city for a season of time. Or that person, he dwells in that city. That's where he makes his home. The word shows up 118 times in the New Testament. 40 of those times are in the Gospel of John, and another 24 appear in John's epistles. So this is a word that John uses a lot. And when it's, and he uses it to kind of describe this normal, like, oh, he dwells over there, he lives in that city. But he also uses it quite frequently to describe the essence, the core, the central thing, the secret sauce of the spiritual life. Like, this is the goal of the whole spiritual life. It is this remain What's the purpose of my spiritual life? Or what am I doing in my spiritual life? John says, just remain. Be at home in God. Dwell, abide in God. Here are a few ways that he uses it in in other places in the gospel in this spiritual sense. He uses it right in the first chapter in verses 32 through 33. Then John, this is John the Baptist, gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He uses it twice there to talk about the Spirit coming down, God's presence remaining with Jesus. And then in verse, chapter 14, verse 10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. This same word for remain is used here. The Father living in me, that's remaining in me, dwelling in me. 
abiding in me, making his home in me. So there's this sense of dwelling and abiding within. Then Jesus makes a radical statement that the Spirit remains or dwells or abides in you and me in chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Again, this is the same word, remain. And then, this is chapter 14, but then in the next chapter, 15, that's where we get our passage, where Jesus talks at length about what it means to remain and makes a connection between the branch and the vine, staying connected to the branch to get the source of life and nutrients. So as you think about all the ways that John is using remain or dwell or abide in the spiritual sense, you kind of get this idea that he has this image of, for you and me of what the way that we can live is like we can dwell or be at home in God in this ongoing conversational relationship with God that feels something like my spirit and God's spirit are in union or that God's spirit is dwelling in me and I'm remaining or dwelling with God in that place, kind of centered on God. I think this is the same idea that the Apostle Paul talks about when over and over throughout his epistles, he uses the language of being in Christ. There is this sense of a way that we can dwell in union, be united with God. And one of the reasons I particularly like this language of remain, which I find so powerful, is because it captures that God, the movement of God to us by grace. God comes to us by grace. And when we feel like we are apart from God, it's because we leave. So the calling is to just remain. God is coming to us all the time. God is with us all the time. God is making his dwelling in us. For you and me, the challenge is just stay there. Just abide in God's presence within you. Stay centered on God's presence in you. The command is not perform well and then God will be with you. Please God and then God will be with you. Earn it and God will be with you. It's just don't leave. Just don't leave God's presence in you. Remain. Stay centered on the presence of of divine love within you. If you stay centered on God's loving presence within you, then everything you do will be fruit-bearing, will lead to this external appearance of beauty, productivity, and health. Everything you do If you stay centered on God's love in you, will be rooted, everything that you do, everything you want to do, everything you desire to do, everything you set your will to do, will be rooted in love for others. You're dwelling with God, abiding with God spiritually, and all your interactions are going to be rooted in this love. So that conversation with your spouse, born of love. The reply that you write to that hurtful email, expression 
of your dwelling and abiding in God. The way you interact with your kids, that will bear the fruit. Things like patience and kindness and gentleness because you are dwelling in God's love. None of this is something we will ourselves to do to produce the sort of external appearance of, well, I think Christians should be loving their spouse, so i got to will myself to love my spouse. Or I think Christians should write this kind of email when someone's mean to them. Or I think Christians should be good moms and dads. So I'm going to will myself to look this way and be this way. That's just managing that external image. If we focus simply on the remaining and staying centered in God's love, then we naturally bear this fruit as we live in the way of love. Otherwise, we're just kind of throwing up fake fruit and that only lasts for a little while. Jesus is offering us something better. He's saying, spiritually, try and stay centered. Remain, stay, abide, dwell in that place with me. You're aware of God's love. How do you do that? How do you practice remaining? If God is never leaving us, how do we not leave God? How do we stay centered in God's love? In order to explore this, I want to try something new. We do this occasionally in person, but I've never done this over video. Kind of nervous. Hope you'll just kind of bear with me. If it doesn't work in your household, then that's okay. We're going to try and sit in silence over video for three minutes. If you have young children, this may be a challenge for some of them. I'm thinking like mid-elementary and up should be able to engage in this practice. Even if you're fidgeting a little bit, it's okay. We're going to all just try and sit in silence. And in that silence, we can often notice some of the things that are coming to us that are tempting to pull us away from God's love. The thoughts, the desires, the to-dos. So in this silence, if you have a really young kid, maybe give them a piece of paper, or give them a game to play while we do this. It's okay if they're making noise in the background. But for the rest of us, we're going to sit in silence, and I want you to, to try and think of one of two things. You can just choose one of these two things. Either I want you to think about the place within you that desires to love God. So you're trying to notice and center on your longing and your desire to love God, or try and notice that part of you that believes and has faith that God loves you. So you're either noticing your desire, that part of you that wants to love God, or you're paying attention to that part of you that believes and has faith that God loves you. Don't do a lot of thinking about these things, Just try and center yourself on it. And as distracting thoughts come, just let them go. At this point, we're gonna, I'm gonna sit in the pew. We're just gonna let the um, camera roll. You can look at the cross behind me. We're gonna sit for three minutes and then I'll bring us back together.
Amen. I wonder what that was like for you. There's a real intimacy to sitting in silence with other people. And I hope that some of you maybe were able to experience that. Maybe some of you had real resistance to sitting in silence. Maybe some of you tried to sit in silence, but you found thoughts came. To-do lists start popping up. Maybe you're thinking about a family member who wounded you. Having a hard time letting that go. Maybe you have some strong desire that started creeping in. It's distracting you from God. What made the simple act of remaining centered on God's love hard? The thoughts, the desires, they're different for each of us. There are different things for each one of us that pull us away from God's love and keep us from remaining centered. We just took three minutes, just three minutes. That's not very long to just sit still and try and remain in God's love, but even three minutes of silence can feel hard for us just to take just three minutes to try and remain in God's love. And this experience, this three-minute slice of silence is a microcosm of our whole lives, the sorts of things that keep us from remaining centered in God's love and this short practice of sitting in silence are the same thing that make it difficult for us to go through our everyday life rooted in God's love and living in the way of love in relationships with those around us. If we're distracted by our to-do list, then maybe we're having a hard time being with people throughout the day because we're always trying to get stuff done. If we're distracted by how other people are experiencing us, maybe we're constantly thinking about them and then we're not able to live in the way of love while we're with them. Whatever was tempting you to leave that practice of remaining centered in God's love in that short period of silence, it's probably something similar to that that makes it hard to remain aware, abiding in God's love throughout your everyday life, whatever you're doing. And the more you and I are able to just practice sitting in silence and and paying attention to this divine love that dwells within us, the better we become at remaining at home in God as we go through our normal everyday lives. We become a little bit more freed up from the compulsion to tend to our external image, and we naturally start to produce fruit. The more we remain in God's love and seek to just live in the way of love, the more our lives are marked by things like love, joy, hope, gentleness, patience, kindness, and more. Our external image just naturally gets really attractive, really productive, really healthy looking because we're staying centered in God's love for us. The very thing that gives life to our body. Friends, in this pandemic order, when we're stuck at home, I would encourage you to consider how you 
can be at home in God. Every time you jump on a Zoom call and you find yourself looking at your external appearance, let that be a reminder to you. If I want to look good on the outside, if I want to look healthy, productive, attractive to other people, I need to center myself on the source of life. Center myself on God's divine love for me. My prayer for you this week and the days ahead is that you will know how to remain, how to dwell with God in this holy place, experiencing His love in a way that would cause you to bear beautiful, productive, and healthy fruit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to do the very simple yet so hard for us act of just staying. Staying still. Staying centered. Dwelling and abiding in Your love. Not being distracted by all the things we've got to run and do or be or impress people or get esteem or power or control. Simply just able to rest in your great love for us in Jesus. Help us to remain in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.